This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hi, everyone. It's Amanda here with Vocal Perspective. Today, we have a wonderful guest all the way from the UK. It's Joe Edison from The Swingles. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Good. It's so good to talk to you. I feel like I haven't seen you in such a long time. It's been ages. Yeah. <laughs> so just to jump right in, Joe is a soprano with The Swingles. What is your background like? What did you do before getting in The Swingles? Ooh, um, at school, I was always in various choirs and a barbershop group and a madrigal choir and was already sort of singing in lots of different styles at school. And then as a teenager, I joined the National Youth Choir of Great Britain. And it was through some friends there. Um, I ended up singing in a choir in London with Jim Davy, who is now married to Sarah Brimer Davy, another swingle soprano. And uh, it was his choir in London and he, that I was singing with. And he said one day, oh, I, I think the swingle singers are auditioning. Like, you should go for that. And I'd sung swingle rep before in various groups, but I had no idea that they were still touring. So that was really cool. Always a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's how it all came about. I sort of thought I was halfway through my course at um, a music college and I it, it was fine but I wasn't really loving it if I'm honest like I felt like I was going into a very lonely world of solo classical singing I didn't really have a voice big enough for opera or anything like that and I used to travel to college listening to groups like the real group and thinking oh if only there were a job just like this out there for me <laughs> and so when he said oh yeah you know you should go for this swingle thing I thought oh that might just work and then didn't think in a million years I'd get the job but it was a fun audition and somehow, somehow it worked out. <laughs> and here you are how many years later? <laughs> So you've been in the Swingles a long time. I have. <laughs> what kind of changes, you know, even in the last probably 10 years that I've been actively following the group, I've seen so many changes. What kind of changes have you seen? Mm, that's a good question. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I've now been in the group basically longer than anyone other than Ward Swingle himself, <laughs> which is slightly scary. And I've now seen, you know, two, if not three, coming up to four in some cases of every voice part, which is you know, a lot. Um, and yes. it's, it's amazing how much changes, not only depending on who joins, but how long they stay, because the longer someone stays, the more we tailor our rep around the skills of the people that we have, you know, so we will write a solo specifically for someone or we'll write an arrangement that's suited to the voices in the group. So I would say that for me, that's been a really exciting thing, you know, rather than inheriting music that's been passed down through the generations, which we do still do a decent amount of. It's actually really fun to sing music that's written for the people that you're currently on stage with right then in that moment. You know, it gives a sense of ownership and, you know, it, it means that you can really show off your specific skills and, you know, the, the things that make you, you. And that's been a really fun thing for me, actually, over the years to tailor our show around the people that we have. Your more recent stuff is a little bit more modern. Mm -hmm. And also quite a few originals. Is that a direction that the group still wants to go in? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, the group actually did a few originals back in the day that I think Ward Swingle wrote. But I think what we've decided to go with is the way we understand Ward's original intent was to push the boundaries of what the voice can do and to be innovative with it rather than, you know, in the 60s that was in the, the shape of you know, let's do Bach in a different style. Right. But actually I think what he set up was, you know let's surprise people with what we're doing musically and vocally and I hope that going forward that's what we continue to do you know, and, and to think, oh well what else can we do that perhaps hasn't been done in this exact way before? We're constantly looking for something new and different. So you sing parts that are typically 
typically very difficult for even for women, even sopranos, you have quite a high range. <laughs> what kind of things do you do to take care of your voice and make sure that I mean, you've been singing now quite a long time. And I haven't noticed any, you know, wear and tear <laughs> from the audience point of view. Well, thank you. That's that's very kind. It's interesting. I actually joined I joined the swingles as the first soprano. That was the job that I auditioned for and did that for a few years. And then when we auditioned for second soprano, when Julie Kench left and Sarah joined, she joined as second soprano, but her voice is naturally much lighter and higher than mine. Mm -hmm. And so we did a fair amount of swapping of who was going to be at the top of the texture, depending on the song, depending on the arrangement. We did a lot of changing that way. And since we've employed Midge as well, who took over from Claire Wheeler, we've done even more of that. So Midge auditioned for alto, but I have quite a low speaking voice and quite a low range. And so we, between the two of us now, share the alto role as well. And so, you know, within the course of one gig, I will sing everything from a high C down to a bottom E flat, you know, and, it, and it's just, you know, maybe not within one song, but definitely within the course of the show. But it's actually, I find it more fun that way. I find, and I find that vocally, it's less tiring to not sit in the same place the whole time. You know, I, I find if I sit in that really high soprano range for a whole show, it's really vocally quite tiring. Whereas to do a bit of high and then to do a bit of low and then sit somewhere in the middle. And I find it actually much easier now than I did a few years ago. Maybe that's to do with my stamina as I grow <laughs> older. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's I, I find it much more interesting to sing lots of different parts. I think it gives the audience a break as well. I think to hear one voice in the same place, especially when you're you're listening to quite demanding high soprano things, it can get <laughs> a little bit, no matter how fabulous it is, it can get a little bit, I don't know, it can become a bit, a bit knackering to listen to the same thing the whole time. I think it's yes. quite nice to have a change of timbre, a change of texture, a change of colour every so often, I think can be quite a nice thing for an audience member. Absolutely. So speaking of stamina, you all are road warriors. <laughs> What is that like to have to pick up? I know you, you tend to like to have a, a day or so to get ready once you get to a new place, but it's still quite tiring. You guys jet all over the world. What is that like to be that busy and have to perform at such a high level when you get there? I think it depends on how far we've gone, how nice the travel was, um, <laughs> whether we slept on the plane or not, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, I mean, it is tiring. I would say that you really can't beat a good night's sleep and lots of water. You know, that's obviously a good thing to aim for. <laughs> but also we we sing really quite quietly for most of the show. There might be a few moments of like a song that's loud and belty or something like that, but we, we're not the kind of band who do that for two solid hours. You know, there's right. a lot of soft stuff and a lot of a lot of help with the mics. You know, you don't I mean you know this as well. Yeah. You don't you don't need to kind of overwork when you have the mic helping you. It's not like we're an opera singer who have to project to the back of the hall, you know, we, we can, you know, we have a lot of help. So I would say that there's a lot of just muscle memory. We do it often enough that even when we're tired, even when we get sick, even when we're not feeling our best, there is a lot of muscle memory that just comes into play. And not that we go into autopilot, but mm -hmm. you can rely on the rehearsal that you've done, the place where you know things need to sit, the shape that you need to be creating, you know, it's, it's kind of okay sometimes to just do what you know is going to happen, you know, and you don't need to work too hard for it. And occasionally we'll have to cut a solo or two if someone's really, really ill on death's door with a virus, you know, <laughs> you might have to slightly tailor the show that way. But um, generally we can get through it, even if we're running on empty. That's good to hear, because I know a lot of people 
wouldn't be able to do that. And it's also mm. great to hear you say that you're not pushing so hard on the microphones and you guys are using the microphones to your advantage because right now it does feel like acapella is moving into this everyone be very belty and very riffy and very loud <laughs> all I, the I mean time. I have so much respect for the people who can do that for two hours I definitely can't so you know <laughs> I'm, I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying this out of like I feel very fortunate that our show means that you don't have to be at that level the entire time you know, yeah. there's a little bit of give and take. <laughs> well, it's also nice for your audience, too. Sometimes the audience needs a break from that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You have been all around the world. I imagine your passport has you've been through 7000 passports. But <laughs> <laughs> do you have any favorite trips or shows that you've done? Oh, um, I loved the Philippines a lot. We made really wonderful friends in the Philippine Madrigal Singers. And they they were the ones who invited us there. It really is such a beautiful place lovely people, incredible food. The audiences were great. It was just one of those perfect tours. And I, I would love to go back. Absolutely love it. That is a place I have not been. And now mm. I will put it higher on the list. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. It really is. How do you guys go about rehearsing? Do you have set rehearsals or do you specifically rehearse for upcoming shows or tours? Yeah, it really depends on what we have coming up. If there's new repertoire that needs to be worked on or if there's a new show. Occasionally, if a new arrangement has come in that we need to rehearse on mic, you know, if it has looping or whatever, we'll, we'll find a time to kind of make sure that all those work and come back at the right times and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it really is dependent on what we're doing. And I mean, recently, because we've had a couple of personnel changes, it's been mostly getting those people comfortable with the current show and making sure that they're up to speed. And yeah. So you mentioned looping, and I know that that's something that has come into the repertoire over the last several years. How has your more traditional audience taken to that kind of change in your rep? Uh, I think generally, they've been kind of cool with it. It really helps to explain it in really simple terms. I mean, it's not something that your average audience goer will know about. You know, it's it's right. it's not something that people necessarily are all familiar with. And so I find that the more the audience understands how it works, and that sounds really silly, but because we don't have the loop station on the stage with us, it can be kind of confusing for an audience member to be like, well, how is that working? Like, I can't see them doing anything <laughs> to make this happen. So um, All the magic from front of house. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the more we explain, okay, so we have our one chance to do it and you know if you do it badly it's going to be bad for the whole song you know <laughs> and <laughs> you know if you can explain it in really simple terms I think when they then notice it happening a song it's like oh I see what they're doing now and yeah I think it's it's a way of letting people into a process that they may not I mean obviously there are people out there who are very familiar with <laughs> looping artists but I think it's important to try and be as inclusive as you can so if mm -hmm. there's anyone in the audience wondering what on earth's happening you know <laughs> the, the safest thing to do is to say you know some of you will know what we're doing but in case you don't like here's here's the thing and then you know we try and use it effectively we try and be sensitive with it we don't want to use it in every song and we don't want to use it unnecessarily we really mm -hmm. try and just use it as a tool to enhance the sound or to enhance the arrangement. Um, and I think that's the key for our group, at least, you know, we want to be kind of tasteful with it. So going back now, it's been wow, it's been a long time that you guys switched from traditionally, the group was eight for a very mm -hmm. long time. And now you're seven. Yeah, it seems like that's the way you're going to keep going. Yeah. What did that mean for the group? How did you all adjust? Because you do still do rep from 
before you were seven? Yeah, we do. It was funny. We we were really nervous about telling Ward Swingle in particular at the time. He sadly passed away in 2015, but this was back in 2011. And we we were nervous about telling him. And then as soon as we explained the reasons why, which I'll come to in a sec, he was so supportive and said that during his time, they'd thought about going to six. So, you know, it really wasn't anything that crazy. I mean, for us, it, it was that we we realised that when the group first started, they were eight singers, but they weren't a cappella. You know, they had a rhythm section as well. Mm-hmm. They would often do gigs with full band, you know, in, in the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s, they had a full band with keys and, you know, everything. And since doing more and more a cappella. We still perform with orchestras and that kind of thing, but considering our touring show is mostly a cappella, we realised that our basses were performing the function of the rhythm section. Mm-hmm. And that left two boys and four girls doing all of the harmony. Right. And we found that it really was just very girl heavy, you know, and there were a lot of double octaves, a lot of, it was just kind of unnecessary and a little bit busy. And so we had a look at the music and thought, well, can we do this as seven people? And we definitely, we haven't lost a single note, really. We, we have fewer rests and <laughs> <laughs> less time off. But yeah, we've just lost some double octaves here and there, some doubled fifths, you know, whatever that was there in the arrangement. But we really haven't lost a note in an arrangement that I can remember. We found a way to either revoice a chord or that kind of thing, but it was definitely the right choice. The group is quickly coming up on 60 years. I feel like you just passed 50 years, but I know 60 is just around the corner. And a lot of how this group survives is the turnover, is the new members that come in. Clearly, none of the original members are still in the group. So for people that are, the Swingles are a a goal one day. (laughs) What does it take to be a Swingle? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. We're all, we're all really different. Like we all have a very different set of skills and really different backgrounds. Some have no a cappella experience whatsoever before they join the group. Some have grown up singing the group's arrangements. Some have a choral background, some are musical theatre, some are jazz. I don't know. I think what brings us all together, and this this sounds like a negative thing, but I think it's the ability to just disappear, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Like we we all have our moments in, in our set when we can shine and whatever, but the rest of the time, I really think it's about becoming invisible within the sound. And I think it comes with a slight, a slight softness, a slight kind of, yeah, it's the ability to be a little bit lazy and conversational and soft. And like, we talk about this in rehearsals quite a lot when when we try and replicate what the French group did back in the Mm sixties, there was just something really kind of lazy about it. Like they, not. I don't mean in like an effortless kind of, that kind of way. I just mean that they were very sort of throwaway with the way that they did everything. Everything was like, yeah, just chuck it out there. And, and, and that's quite a hard thing to do if you're a trained singer, you know, no matter what um, your background, whether, whether it's been classical music or musical theatre or whatever, or pop or whatever it might be. It's really difficult to do less. You know, it's really difficult to kind of not Mm -hmm. do very much. And so I think that might have something to do with it. It's finding people who are really good at disappearing. (laughs) (laughs) No, that makes that makes total sense. Because when I mean, for the people that have not heard you yet, first of all, what are you doing? (laughs) You don't notice like it's almost until I got to know each of you as people, it was really hard to pick out who was singing which part unless there was a feature. And that is I haven't noticed that changing even with all of the different members that I've seen come through. So yeah, that's what we're after. Yeah, that's what we're that's what we're hoping for. So that's good to hear. (laughs) 
So what have been some of your favorite things that have happened over your time with the Swingles? Oh, gosh, so many. This is a huge like clang moment. <laughs> but, but like a really big one for me was when we co-wrote a song that was featured on the end of a Matt Damon film. That was really fun. <laughs> and it was we had a very specific brief and this was without having seen the film and which was downsizing, by the way. But we mm -hmm. we hadn't seen the movie, but we knew what it was about. And it was, you know, the brief was we want a slightly sweet kind of a bit Julie Andrewsy without being too pastiche, like kind of a sweet, innocent sounding, slightly tongue in cheek lyrics that are a play <laughs> on things being big and things being small and, you know, that kind of thing. And it was so much fun to do. We had no time whatsoever to do it. This all happened like the turnaround was about a week and a half. It was like really, really, really short notice <laughs> where, the, you know, the director had been speaking to the composer of the film, who's Rolf Kent, who we'd sort of spoken to before about potentially collaborating on something. But but he said, oh, if this is what you're after, I actually think the swingle should do this. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we had a very quick conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but that was that was really fun. And, you know, having turned around the song and we were on tour in Ireland when we recorded it. So we'd just done a gig and then we'd booked a studio for the next day. It was the only day we could do. So we went in, we recorded all the parts. And at one point they'd they'd asked for um, a British pronunciation of something. So I'd <laughs> so I'd recorded it and that was done. And then a few days later, you know, we'd left the studio. Everything had been done. A few days later, they said, oh, actually, we'd rather have the American pronunciation of this particular <laughs> word. So by this Which point... Which you are very good at. <laughs> but by this point, we were in a completely different country. We had like between the sound check and the gig to re-record this one word <laughs> and try and make it sound like it was all one take, you know. So our amazing sound engineer, Hugh Walker, like set me up. I, I think I was crouching in a bush somewhere. It was an outdoor gig. <laughs> you know, people were like clanging forks and knives and there were glasses and, you know, it was like a loud environment. Nothing like being in a studio where the rest of the song had been recorded. And I was just, you know, the word was dynasties and they wanted me to sing dynasties. And so I was literally crouching in a bush just going, Dina, Dina, just so we had this one little bit of the word to slot in. And if you listen to the song, you cannot tell that that one syllable was recorded on a completely different day, on a different microphone, in a different set of uh, circumstances. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> So that was fun and stressful. Well, at least you got to put your American accent to very good use. <laughs> oh, no, I sound very English for the rest of the song. But for some reason, <laughs> dynasties is dynasties. <laughs> well, I mean, most Americans probably they'd be like, what? What did they say? <laughs> in fact, I'm sure there are several words in this interview that people are going to be what? <laughs> So what's coming up for you guys? We are coming up to a recording project. It's been a while. It's been a couple of years. And yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be a, a real mixture of things that we've had in the show that we've been honing and tweaking and perfecting. And then a whole bunch of brand new stuff that's yet to be written as well. So I think it'll be a really nice mixture of stuff. Always exciting. <laughs> Your uh, previous album is still on, on rotation in my car. So <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> it's like the crowning glory of my life to hear my voice like in the mix yeah on <laughs> but just in general for people that are looking at being in a professional group going on tour doing a pretty rigorous schedule what advice do you have to them 
I think my advice would be to always be questioning why. Make sure that you're always either traveling for the right reason or performing for the right reason or, you know, writing the arrangement you're writing for the right reason. Always question what the motivation is and why you're doing it. And that will ensure that the enjoyment stays there, you know, because if you're always checking in to see that you're doing the things you want to be doing and the things that feel right and the things that feel good, then the world's your oyster because you'll be making the right decisions and performing music that you love and going to places that you want to go to and working with people that you want to work with. Well, that sounds like a perfect place to end, <laughs> even though I probably could sit and talk to you for hours. But thank you so much, Joe, for taking thank the you. time. Thanks for having me. So, hey, Rachel, sorry you had to miss the interview with Joe, but you were off on an adventure in the UK. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing? Sure. Yeah. So it's actually really funny that you were interviewing Joe while I was in the UK and I couldn't join the conversation, but I was there covering a couple different events that were going on. There were the London ICCA quarterfinals that were going on. And uh, there was another event produced by the London Vocal League, which we were there to cover. And it was a really awesome. Both of those events were super cool. One of the things that I love about UK acapella is that they approach it a little bit differently, I feel like, than we do here. And I really appreciated that difference. One of the things that they do is, I don't know, this this harkens me back a little bit to my original sort of introduction into acapella, which is I feel like they take themselves a little bit less seriously. There's a bit of, oh, I don't know, a, a fun that goes along with their performance that, yes. that I feel like that we've gotten a little bit away from, I would say, in competition. I would say that, that groups do it definitely in their performances and their regular performances and their concerts and things like that. But it's sort of been abandoned, I would say, in competition. Yeah. Competition here has definitely become very serious. Yeah. And I have to say that I really appreciated the humor. I appreciated the lightheartedness. And, and not to say that they didn't take their musicality seriously, because they did. It, the musicality of it and the performance aspect was very top-notch. But those little winks and nods that they had at the audience that like, we get the joke, we're bringing you along on that joke was I really appreciated it as an audience member, not just somebody who, you know, has some insight into the genre, but just as someone who's sitting in the audience and enjoying a performance. Absolutely. I mean, a few years back when the UK group, I believe it was the Tectonics when they won ICCA finals, it was the first UK group to ever win. They were on stage making a human bicycle. It was I mean, the humor, I think, was really refreshing. Absolutely. And, you know, they're competing again this year, and they came in first in this quarters. And I have to say that they're pretty strong this year. I thought that they, they're just a very, they're, they're committed really to, I think, their performance and their set and putting on a really great musical, like, how do I say this? Like a musical sort of presentation, like they're, they're strong musically. But one of the things that the group does is they employ their own choreographer who is not a part of the group. That's interesting. And I think that that's something like, so it's funny, it's a they're an all male group, their choreographer is a, a, a woman, and she is a university student, but she is somebody who who is part of you can't see my air quotes part of the group, but her role is choreographer. And she's very, she has a vision and she's very committed to the, the boys, as she calls them, uh, implementing her vision. And it works for them. It really does. So I think there's some, you'll see some good stuff coming from them as they proceed on 
in the competition. It would be interesting to see them again a few years later to see if they bring that same kind of humor back. I'm jealous that you got to see a preview of what could be another final set. Yeah, it was great. One of the other things that I got to see while I was there, which it was a little bit of a shame, the only, I believe it was the only all-female group that was competing in the London Quarters. They sounded fantastic. I really loved their set. I really loved what they did. And I had a chance to sit down with them. So a little teaser for the spotlight. We'll be hearing the rolling tones from King's College London in an upcoming episode of the spotlight. And you'll be able to hear the songs that they did in their set. And they sound really great. Yeah. And they were finalists a few years back as well. So it was great that you got to see both of those groups. I know it was a, a really strong quarters, pretty stacked, kind of we see our Northeast competition here, you know, and and even the West competition, those tend to have pretty stacked competitions. But it it was definitely a high caliber, high quality set of groups that were competing. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more from the UK. I think they have four quarters this year, which is just an amazing amount of growth. And it would be great to see ICCA as an international competition grow even beyond the UK and Canada and the United States. I think that would be pretty exciting. And I I think the growth in the UK is very telling of what could be. Definitely. I'm I think that we're going to see a lot there and the folks who are running the UK sort of region are doing some really amazing things. So I am just so excited for what's going to come out of that. Awesome. So I'm still a little bit jealous that you got to go to the UK, but I'm very excited for Acaville to continue to expand and get to experience these groups from all over the world. Absolutely. And I can just be equally as jealous that you had a chance to speak to Joe and I didn't. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, that about does it for episode 29 of Vocal Perspective. Thanks so much for tuning in and a huge thank you to Joe Edison of The Swingles for taking the time to speak with us today. And it was really great to have a recap from Rachel's trip to London. Next week, we'll be back with Donna McKay, the international president of Harmony Incorporated. Before we sign off for today, though, we have a special treat. We're going to play one of the original songs sung by The Swingles, written in part by Joe Edison. It's called Wonderland, and it was featured on their album Deep End. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next Tuesday. Mm-hmm.